Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Although we'll be spending most of our time in the Gospel of John, the key to everything I'm going to say is found here, beginning in Matthew, chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I think it's obvious to everyone here and even around the world that Christ is the most controversial person who ever lived. He also is the most important person who ever lived. And so with all of the different ideas that people have about Christ, we'd better make sure that we get it right. You know, this is the one thing that we can't afford to be wrong about. And, uh, and I can say without any doubt that there are a lot of folks that are dead wrong about the Lord, and that's deadly. Here in verse 13, Jesus asked the question, Whom do men say? that I, the Son of Man, am. Do you say that He is? When they don't, because some folks And so when they use the name Jesus in in the book of Galatians where there is another reality, their concept of Christ is so the best thing that we can do is to see what the real Jesus says. You see, the best information about Jesus is from Jesus. And so if you want to know who He is, if you want to know what He has done, the best thing to do is find out what he said. And before we listen to him speak this morning, I I want you to remember who it is that's speaking. It's God. I love the Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, and the Word was what made flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So, Whatever Jesus says about himself, understand that this is coming from God. 
And there are many different words, many different phrases that are used to describe God, but I don't think there's any, any better than the phrase, I am. That describes who God really is. He is the self-existent one. He is the self-sufficient one and the all-sufficient one. He is complete without any other. If God had never created any spirit beings, if God had never created man, God would have been perfectly complete just with nothing but God. Back in the book of Exodus in chapter number 3 and verse number 14, God is giving Moses instructions concerning leading the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and into the promised land. And so Moses asked God how he ought to answer those who might ask, well, what is his name? That is the name of your God. And so God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now when we come to the New Testament, we find Jesus using the phrase, I am, to identify himself. He wants us to understand that he is Jehovah in the flesh. But, in the Gospel of John, he adds seven other words or phrases to that phrase, to that name, I am. And again and again, he makes these seven I am statements. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, he said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And every Christian could say the same thing. Whatever you are, whatever good there is about you, it's because of God and His grace. So today, I want to speak to you about how I am changed who I am. How I am changed who I am. So I want you to notice, I started to call this uh, a series in a sermon and whenever you think about these seven statements, obviously we could have an entire message on each and every statement that is made. And I promise you we're not going to do that this morning, just in case you're running scared already. We're not going to do that. But we are going to consider what Jesus said about himself in those seven I am statements. So uh, keep in mind that Jesus is not who you think he is Jesus is not who others say that he is Jesus is what he says he is and that's clear he says I am now when we come to the gospel of John and remember John said these things were written you know for our sake that we might believe and when we come to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse number 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. Now that takes us all of the way back to the Old Testament, 
All the way back to, as I said there in chapter 3, where the Lord clearly identified himself as the great I am. And now we're, we're going back to this time of Moses and the children of Israel. And Jesus said, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you that true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. In this first I am statement, the Lord is obviously dealing with what we might call dissatisfaction. You see, the natural man's not only defiled by his sin, there is a dissatisfaction. As somebody said many years ago, that God created man with a God-shaped blank in his heart. And therefore, he can never be satisfied until God himself fills that void that's in his heart. And whenever we think about our relationship with God and think about what Christ did for us, He's wanting us to know that He is the one, the only one that is able to give us the satisfaction because without Him we're going to be dissatisfied. And that's why He said, if you eat of this bread, what? You'll never hunger again. You'll be satisfied permanently. And that's why I've often said, I, I can take you to the time and I can show you the place where God saved me by His wonderful grace. That's what an old song says, and it's so true for me. I can remember that day and I can say without a doubt that I've never had a second of doubt since that day as to whether I'm saved. I've never had a desire to be saved again because I, I knew that I had trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't know how anybody could be satisfied not knowing whether or not they've really truly been born again. And if you don't know that, you can know that today. You can settle that matter. So when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, he's simply saying, I am what you need. I am what you need, the bread of life that saves, the bread of life that satisfies, the bread of life that strengthens. And there's no other source for this. No place else you can go to find that satisfaction. Now, when we come to chapter number 8, we find here in verse number 12, another, the second I am statement that Jesus made, John chapter 8 in verse number 12, And then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus is not only the bread of life, he tells us here he is the light of the world. When Jesus speaks about being the bread of life, he's talking about meeting meeting the dissatisfaction that we all have without Him. But when He speaks about being the light of the world, 
he's telling us that he deals with the darkness. And make no mistake about it, the natural mind, man, is spiritually blind. He, he, he's like a blind man groping around in the darkness and, and looking for something that will give him meaning, something that will provide satisfaction, but he can never find it. And just as light dispels the darkness, Jesus provides the light that delivers us from the darkness of sin. You, you, you can't hardly think about anything else but that when you think about that old song, Praise the Lord, I Saw the Light. Amen. It makes such a difference in you because all of a sudden when you realize that Jesus is the light of this world, all of a sudden what he says illuminates everything else as to the decisions that we make. And we find that satisfaction because he's the bread of life. We find the light to overwhelm the darkness because he's the light of life. But now we come to chapter number 10 and the first 10 verses of this chapter Notice verse 7 and also verse number 9 where Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the door. Now this deals with those that have been disbarred. And by nature, man is separated from God. That is, he is shut out from God. What, a, what an awful position to be in to think that there is a breach between you and God. There's this great chasm that you can't go across separated from God I mean that is the worst thing imaginable to think that you have to live and die without being in a union with God and so Jesus says I am the door that's talking about the way the way that provides as he says in Ephesians 1 6 that he has made us what accepted in the beloved Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And as the old shepherd would sit there at the door of the sheep and, and he provided uh, the means whereby they could enter or the means whereby they could go out and find pasture, the Lord wants us to know that he has opened up a way to God. Religion couldn't provide the way. Nothing about religion that's going to get us to God. In fact, it is the greatest hindrance in all of the world. But Jesus, Jesus says, I am the door and there's no other door. Now we come to chapter 10, beginning in verse number 11. And here Jesus speaks about being the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And when we think about us as, as lost sheep, we think about being deprived. We think about the destitution, uh, the, the deprivation that we find ourselves in when we're without God. And Jesus says, look, I'm not just the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that goes out on the hills, as it were, and finds the sheep that have gone astray. I'm the one that, you know, that fends against your enemies. I'm the one that will provide for you when you feel helpless and hopeless. And that's why we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The great I am is our shepherd. Think about that. And if he is our shepherd, we don't have anything to worry about. That's exactly the picture that we see there in Psalms 23. 
We have no reason to fret whatsoever because we know the Lord is the good shepherd. Now we come to chapter 11 of the book of John, beginning in verse number 17 and on down through verse 27. And verse number 25, Jesus speaks here about being the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. So the need here that he's dealing with, obviously, is the matter of death. And the the natural man is spiritually dead, separated from God. When I talked about him being earlier shut out from God, you know, that's one thing. You know, to not have a way to God, but even, even if there was some means that you and I could approach unto God, it would be useless without acceptance from the Lord. We, when we talk about salvation so many times, we talk about accepting the Lord, and naturally we do. That's, you know, that's biblical to talk about, I accepted Christ as my Savior. But the thing that really saves you is Him accepting you. I mean, you, it's one thing to say you accepted the Lord, but you're not saved unless He accepts you. And the only thing that makes us acceptable is the Lord Jesus Christ. In our spiritual death, and remember God told Adam that in the day that you eat thereof, you're going to die. Well, he didn't die physically, he lived 930 years, so he didn't die physically that day. But the very moment that he disobeyed God, he died spiritually. He was as dead as a doornail, and every person that is born into this world is born without spiritual life. It's just as though you went out here and unhooked the battery cable from the battery in your car. That car would not function. It would not operate. And sin broke the connection between man and God. And now here is Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. We come to chapter 14. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So this obviously deals with the problem of deception. We live in a sin-darkened, deceptive world where Satan, the father of lies, deceives the minds of men. And Jesus came to deliver us not only from the distractions of this world, but from doubt and from death itself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now we come to chapter 15 in the first 11 verses. And here we find Jesus saying, I am, and this time he says, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. And remember he says in verse number 5, without me you could do nothing. I mean, it would be impossible for any of us to do anything that's acceptable to God with, uh, without him, you see. So... So this deals with the problem of detachment, as it were. And the point is that in Christ we find a union with God wherein He imparts everything we need to become all that we ought to be. You think about the vine and you think about the branches, and those branches are nourished by what? By the vine. And He says, I am the true vine. I'm the only means... The only means possible to provide the things that you need. 
I am. Seven times he says, I am, and gives those descriptive words and phrases to explain to us who he is and why he came. Now let me try to sum all of this up in just a few minutes. And in the light of all of these statements, it's obvious that our greatest need is then a connection or a union with Christ. That is a a relationship with our Redeemer. Because all of these speak about man's need and God's provision. And He not only proclaimed these things, but He promised that He would meet these needs and He always provides what He promised. And by the way, whenever you go through the, the Gospel of John... There's also seven signs, that is seven different miracles, miracles with messages found in the book of John. And those seven miracles are the means whereby that the Lord Himself proved that He was who He claimed to be. He is the I Am that meets these seven problems. Isn't that great? You have these seven descriptive phrases as to who Jesus is and what He did and what He can do. And He turns right around and in the same gospel gives us seven different miracles to prove that He's telling the truth. That's why I'm telling you how I am changed who I was and made me who I am. And the wonderful thing about it is that He'll do exactly the same for you. If dissatisfaction is your problem, He says, I'm the bread of life. Darkness, if that's the problem, He says, I'm the light of the world. If you're disbarred and can't find a way from God, He says, I'm the door. If you're destitute, He says, I'm the good shepherd. If death is the problem that you're facing, spiritual death that is, He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you've been deceived by the God of this world, He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You think about being detached, as it were, from God. No connection, no provision. And He says, well, He says, I am the true vine, and without Me, you can do absolutely nothing. How I am made me who I am. You wouldn't like the man I used to be. I didn't like the man that I used to be. God didn't like the man that I used to be. But He loved me. That's why Romans 5, 8 is the to me, is the most marvelous, wonderful verse that that I know of in all of the Bible. That God loved us in that while we were yet sinners, when there was absolutely no reason, nothing in us to merit God's mercy, and God loved us nevertheless. He loved me, and I am changed who I am. So who I am is not who I was. Every Christian becomes a new creature in Christ Jesus the moment they're saved. I I didn't say that we're perfect. I'm certainly far from perfect today, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. 
the same thing can be said of you if you're here today and you've been saved. If it wasn't for Christ, we would still be who we were. Wouldn't that be awful? Bev was saying the other day, was talking about something, and she was uh, re-emphasizing something that she said so many things that I, that I think we really see lacking today, and that is people making professions of faith without ever being truly convicted of their sinfulness. You know, it's one thing to say, well, I walked down the aisle and I got on my knees, I shook the preacher's hand and I said a prayer and joined the church. It's another thing to be absolutely, totally overwhelmed with how filthy, vile, ungodly, and wicked and undeserving we are. Bev could tell you about the very night that all of a sudden, it, she was a preacher's wife at that point. I, had, I was shocked. I don't know how she could have been any better preacher's wife in my mind than the way that she was. I mean, she was a young, frightened. She didn't marry a preacher, and uh, she never expected that. And when I got saved and surrendered to preach, and all of a sudden she's a preacher's wife and has to overcome all of all of those fears and deal with all of those issues and be involved in something. And, and for the first year or so, she wasn't even saved. Actually, the first three, four years. And I'll never forget coming home that, that night after going to a revival meeting. And uh, the preacher had preached on John three sixteen. You've heard me tell this before. And and I commented on the way home, you know, I, it's a revival meeting. I wanted, you know, some I wanted some fireball preacher to get up there and and tear the pulpit up and scream and yell and stomp and spit and sputter and and name every sin that he could think of. And he didn't do any of that. He just basically a monotone, what some would call a boring lecture about God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And Bev didn't say anything, so I, I, I knew that I shouldn't be critical of any of God's messengers. He preached the truth. How could you criticize somebody for preaching on John three sixteen? What an idiot I was! We got home and she went went to bed, and and uh, still she hadn't hardly said anything. And I thought, boy, I've made her uh, madder than I thought. She's not even speaking now. And it was just a while later on. I could hear her crying, and and she said to me, she said, uh, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm not saved. And uh, boy, I love it, old song. Once in the stillness of the late midnight hour, I felt the presence of God's saving power. And that's the way it was for her that night, as she trusted Christ as her Savior. And, and let me let me tell you. When God saves us, He begins to change us. Think, think about this. There's so many times that people make a profession of faith because of the fact that they recognize that there is a need for a change in their life. Maybe they're an alcoholic. Maybe they're addicted to drugs. It could be a, a number of different things, but they've got a problem I have. I won't mention his name or the relation, but it was a relative several years ago whose wife had left him, and 
And this was a person that was very dear to my heart, and I wasn't a Christian, didn't know anything about it, but all, all of a sudden I, I got the news that he was started going to church. He, he, I'd never heard of him going to church before, and all of a sudden, you know, that you know, he had become a Christian, and I, I really, I didn't even know what that was, but, but anyway, it really shocked me. And the amazing thing is, after his wife returned, all of a sudden, all the Christianity went by the wayside. He was the same old person that he was before. You see, all he wanted was a problem solver. All he was looking for, evidently, was somebody, you know, or some higher power that would help him out of his problem. And let me tell you, salvation is, is about something more than just changing your behavior. It changes your behavior, but it's about more than that. It's changing who you are. Being always comes before doing. Being. That's why Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Not anything that's acceptable to God. So in our natural condition, we're all spiritually dead and only Christ can give us life. The only one that can make us the person that we, that we ought to be. Many years ago, and I, I come across the statement that John Newton made and I jotted it down in my Bible and I've thought about it so many times. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Wow. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And folks, it's all because Jesus, the great I am. The one who was, the one who is, the one who always will be is exactly what every person needs. He's the answer to all of the most important questions in life. He is God's provision for man's problem. He's the solution for our sinfulness. That's why when it's all said and done and we're all gathered together there in glory... According to Revelation chapter 5 in the heavenly choir is a symbol. We'll begin to sing, Worthy is the Lamb, now listen to this, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings from every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. And notice, forever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb. Because He is, He was, He always will be the great I Am, able to meet every need. The greatest orators that ever lived cannot picture the fullness of His greatness. The most beautiful songs that have ever been written cannot describe His glory. The most wonderful poems that cannot fully depict His goodness. The most brilliant books ever written cannot explain His grace. Even the loudest praise cannot proclaim all that He deserves. The longest sermon cannot exhaust 
everything that could be said about the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the great I am. It is beyond our comprehension. And I'll never forget the day that the great I am made me who I am. And if you're here today without Him, if you're here without Him today, that same thing can be true in your life. And if you are saved, if you do know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior and that He has become all of these things to you, then you ought to be so very thankful today to know that you don't have a need of any kind that He can't meet. The same one who stepped out on nothing back in eternity, stepped out on nothing and took a handful of nothing and made something, made everything out of it. That same one wants to create within you the very image of His dear Son. That's what He's working to do, Romans 8, 29. He has predestinated us to what? To be conformed to the image of His glory, you see. And that's what God wants to do with each and every one of us. And He's willing to accept whosoever will. You can't beat a deal like that, regardless of who you are and what you've done. When you come to Jesus, I promise you, He's the door. And you'll find acceptance. He turns no one away if they'll trust Him. But it's not the Jesus of this world. It's the Jesus described in this old black book I hold in my hand. The one who told us Himself who He is and what He's done and what He's willing to do if we trust Him. Would you trust Him this morning? Let's all stand together. Father in heaven, how we thank You We thank You, Lord, for the revelation that You've given of Yourself. Lord, it would be far beyond our capability to ever discover these things about You. Us not knowing them wouldn't change who You are, but we would be without that information and there's no way in the world that we could ever discover Your greatness, no way that we could ever be able to understand how that you're able and willing to meet our needs. We're so thankful, Lord, that you've spoken. You've spoken for yourself and about yourself and made it possible for us to realize the great possibilities that we have. And I just pray this morning for that man or that woman, maybe a boy or a girl that's here today, and it might be never before have they ever really sensed their sinfulness never realized what a horrible offense that they've committed in sinning against you and this morning I pray that the blessed Holy Spirit would just convict their heart and draw them to Calvary that they might put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for those of us that are saved God help us to help us to not murmur and complain but help us to realize that we are the most privileged people on the face of the earth. May we accept what you allow and do what you command and strive to please you in everything that we do. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing, if God's speaking to you about salvation, baptism, church membership, or I don't know, maybe you just want to, maybe you just want to have a season of prayer and thank God for what He's done. Whatever it is, you come.
Without Him, I could do nothing. 